gospel with them. Everybody else, please take those and pray for the preachers and teachers of God's word. If you have your Bible this morning, as we speak of God's word, I invite you to turn with me to the gospel of John. Our time together will be greatly helped if you keep that Bible open throughout the sermon. If you do not have a copy of God's word to call your own, please feel free to grab one of those underneath the seat in front of you. Take those home with us or with you today. Consider that a gift from us to you. We'd love for you to have a copy of God's word that you can read and understand. John's gospel should be somewhere around page 886. We're going to begin reading in John 1, chapter 1, in just a few moments. It is no secret to anyone who knows our family very well that the most wonderful time of the year, every year, in the Johnson home is Christmas, and it usually begins somewhere around October 1st. Each day, the first person up plugs in the tree. Christmas music is on nonstop in our house. Christmas shows are on repeat constantly. We're reading Christmas devotionals. Christmas songs are sung around the dinner table. And most importantly, Christmas traditions are created and vigorously reinforced. Even yesterday, one of our children read a speech that she wanted to give before we would open our presents. And because she's done it two years in a row, it is now a tradition. We always get our tree the day after Thanksgiving. We always go see the Nutcracker. We always listen to Handel's Messiah. We always watch the Muppet Christmas Carol on Christmas Eve. We always open presents after we've eaten breakfast and done our family devotional in the morning. And we always spend a full day downtown in Philadelphia. Now, many of you know that. It's the same day on repeat for us every year. We do the same things. We park in the same place. We go to all of the same restaurants, reliving the same events from the previous year in our life, having the same conversations about the previous year as we're adding to this year, layer upon layer. But there's always a little bit of irony if you're walking around the city and paying attention as a careful observer. And the background music in stores moves from Bing Crosby to Ella Fitzgerald to Michael Buble and Mariah Carey as the season is promoted as a time for family and friends and peace on earth. But the Christian meaning of Christmas intrudes, uninvited through all of the traditional Christmas carols that you hear sung and played throughout all of the stores that you're walking through. Hark the herald angels sing. The everlasting Lord from highest heaven comes down to be the offspring of the virgin's womb, to see God and sinners reconciled by laying his glory by, that we may no more may die through an inward spiritual regeneration that is so radical, the song describes it as second birth. Christmas is the only time of the year that millions upon millions of people, if they take the trouble to listen, are humming to the message of the gospel while they're shopping and decorating and gallivanting around the city of Philadelphia. To understand Christmas is to understand that message. It is the basic message of Christianity, the gospel message. So what is that message? John tells us something of it in the opening 18 verses of his gospel. The apostle writes under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and he speaks to us with the same authority as of Jesus Christ himself were here speaking to us this morning. And if you're the type of person who likes to underline in your Bible, I want you to just underline the phrase grace and truth when you see it. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. 
He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory as the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, this was he of whom I said, he who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who's at the Father's side. He has made him known. Let's pray. Father, we do ask that you would help us now as we turn our attention to your word. We ask you that you would write these eternal truths upon our hearts, that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear the beauty of the gospel this Christmas morn, and that you would encourage our hearts. Father, I thank you for these men and women who have gathered here today. Father, we pray for the children that are downstairs studying the gospel and those who are still up here right now, that you would open their eyes to see the beauty of the gospel in Jesus Christ. And we ask all of this in the name of our God who has revealed himself to us as Father, Son, and Spirit. Amen. John tells us what we already know to be true, that the world, verse 5, is a very dark place. It is a place that is so dark that we will never find our way or actually see reality unless God acts. And that is exactly what John 1.14 teaches us, that God has acted, hear it again. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. But why does God have to act on our behalf? Because in this dark world, there is both evil and ignorance. The world is filled with evil and untold suffering. From the first century to the 21st century, the world has had an unbroken pattern of disobedience and pride, of violence and injustice, of abuses of power and homelessness, of refugees fleeing oppression and families ripped apart by war, of mental illness and rape, of adultery and manipulation, endless grief. And no one that we know on planet Earth knows enough to cure the evil to stop the suffering. So we grope around in ignorance as we look to specialists and sages and scholars for solutions in the state or the marketplace or in technology. But their technology is never advanced enough, is it? And their solutions never work. And all of their pontifications never satisfy. And the message of Christmas is that it never will. They will never be able to put together a world of unity and peace without death and decay. In the most unsentimental way, the Christmas story tells us things really are bad and we can't heal or save ourselves. Things really are dark. Nevertheless, there is hope. Because verse five, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. The hope of Christmas, John tells us, is not from this world. Verse nine, The true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. 
The hope of Christmas, John tells us, is from another, another world, and that is good news. Good news because according to John's gospel, though we have lost our original, full, right relationship with God that we had at the beginning because of sin, Christmas tells us, verses 12 and 13, that we can become children of God who are born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God by believing in Jesus' name. Though we will eventually know physical death, though we already know spiritual death, a loss of meaning and hope, addictive patterns and inordinate desires, a deep discontentment that rages in our hearts even on Christmas morning, shame and struggles with our own identity, an inability to change in our own lives, we can receive, John tells us, verse 16, grace upon grace. Why? Our very text that we're looking at this morning tells us, verse 14, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Because the word that was God became man and drew near to us and became flesh with all of the frailty associated with being a human. But the word made flesh, Christmas tells us, is a child that is born for us. Isaiah said it like this. Pastor Terry read it earlier. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it, to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. This child, the word made flesh, the prophet Isaiah tells us is the mighty God. He is the everlasting father, which means that he is the creator. And yet, Christmas tells us he is born. He is a human being and he is God. Friends, it is almost limiting and astonishing to say that we celebrate these truths at Christmas. We don't celebrate these truths. We stare dumbstruck at them. We're lost in wonder and awe and praise that God on high would be born so that we might be reborn. Matthew's gospel says it like this. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. A story that we're so familiar with that we almost lose all of the wonder from it. John tells us the people who actually understood Jesus to be the word made flesh never acted indifferently toward him. Verse 11, he came to his own, but his own people did not receive him. Once people realized who he was, 
They were always scared of Jesus, or they were furious with Jesus, or they knelt down and bowed down before him to worship Jesus, but nobody simply liked Jesus. He, nobody ever said, he's so inspiring, he makes me want to be a better person. Because if the baby born in Bethlehem was the mighty God, Emmanuel, God with us, the word made flesh, then the only proper response was that we must worship him completely. And perhaps now we begin to see the reason why. He had the infinite highness of the mighty God, yet he became one of us involved in our condition in order to know our darkness, a darkness that he saved us from by going to the cross for us. And Jesus did it all voluntarily. That's the astonishing message of Christmas, that he came down willingly and he did it all voluntarily for you and for me and for all of the people that he so loved. He gave up everything that he knew, all of the glory, all of the power, all of the might, all of the majesty to humble himself to take on flesh, a darkness to save us from. Not simply to brighten our day and to put pep into our step, but to be a light for our path. Verse four, in him was life and the life was the light of men. Friends, that is the good news of great joy. And that is why Christmas is the most wonderful time of the year. Even for those of us in this room who are suffering, even for those of us in this room who are remembering all of the things that are not this Christmas season, even for those of us in this room who are looking at empty seats around the table this afternoon, Christmas doesn't come into our lives and tell us all is well, grin and bear it, forget about it. Jesus steps into the darkness and he says, I'm with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. All of your friends might reject you. Your family might pass out of this life. You may lose everything that you hold dear, but I am with you. I will never leave you. I love you. I love you so much that I came to be with you and to save you. I am with you. The wonderful time of the year reminds us of why we need to love Jesus and should obey Jesus because Jesus brings new life to replace our spiritual deadness. Because Jesus shows us the truth that heals us from spiritual blindness. Because Jesus is the beauty that breaks all of our addiction to money and sex and power and fame. Because he walks with us into the shadow where no one else can go with us. Because he has, verse 18, made God known, verse 14, as the only son from the Father. Because, verse 14, he is full of grace and truth. Now, did you notice the way that it is phrased for John twice? Grace and truth. He wants us to, to see that Jesus was not only bringing truth, but he was full of grace and truth. Grace without truth is unloving, and truth without grace is uncaring. But Jesus, John tells us, is the ultimate manifestation of God's covenant faithfulness. He is full, overflowing of grace and truth. He's not treating us as our many sins deserve as he reveals the truth to us about who God is and what God has done for us and for our salvation by sending his son. So the question at Christmas is, how can he become ours? Isaiah told us, he said, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given. It's a gift. 
the gift that can be yours if you're willing to receive it as a gift of verse 17, grace and truth that came through Jesus Christ, which is actually what we all love so much about Christmas, isn't it? It's a time for giving and receiving presents. But as one pastor said, consider how challenging it is to receive certain types of gifts. Some gifts, this pastor said, by their very nature, make you swallow your pride. Imagine opening presents this morning from a family member only to find that it's a dieting book. And then after you open another wrapper, it's another book from another family member that says overcoming selfishness. If you say to them, thank you for the gifts, to some degree you're admitting I'm fat and obnoxious. In other words, some gifts are hard to receive because to do so they admit that you have flaws, that you have weaknesses, that you need help. There has never been a gift that is offered to any of us that makes you swallow your pride to the depth that the gift of Jesus Christ requires you to do. Christmas means that we are so lost, so unable to save ourselves, that nothing less than the death of the Son of God could save us. To accept the Christmas gift, we have to admit that we're sinners, that we have to be saved by grace, that we actually have to give up all of the control that we are grasping for in our lives, that we have to receive the baby born in Bethlehem as Lord and Savior, the Word made flesh. But friends, if we're honest, that's descending lower than any of us want to go. But that is how you receive the gift of Christmas. Will you receive the gift of Christmas? Will you turn away from your sin and place all of your trust in Jesus Christ right now? If you do, the Bible assures us that God will forgive you, even on Christmas morning. Our hearts are restless, Augustine taught us, until they find their rest in God. But you can find rest in God today, this morning, by faith in Jesus Christ. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, the scripture assures us you will be saved. And the Bible says that there is no one, not even the greatest human being on planet Earth, who does not need the gift of grace that Jesus offers. And there is no one, not even the worst human being on planet Earth, who can fail to receive the gift of Jesus Christ if there is repentance and faith. And that is why the Word made flesh said this in Matthew's Gospel. Come to me all who are weary and heavy laden. I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Friends, will you find rest for your souls today? Come to Jesus. Believer, are you here and are you restless this morning? Anxious about all of the many concerns in life? Unable to settle down and always churning, trying to keep going because you just can't find rest? Look to Jesus. His yoke is easy. His burden is light. He is gentle and lowly. He is an all-sufficient Savior. He knows exactly what it is like to be you, to be tired, to be weak, to have people who he loved betray him, to be in a world filled with pain and sorrow. He came to die for you, and he loves you still. Unbeliever, if you're here and you're restless and anxious, unsettled, the gospel says, look to Jesus. By faith in him, you will find rest for your heavy-laden souls. That disquiet is because you are unsettled 
unsettled because you do not know God. And apart from faith in Christ, you never will. Friend, if you're here today, look to Jesus. And if you have questions about what it means to look to Jesus, you have come to the right place. We are so glad that you've chosen to worship with us today. You can find me at the tunnel or one of the other pastors at one of the doors. We would love to open the Bible with you and tell you what it means to trust in Jesus Christ by faith. Christmas proclaims, Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, to us a child is born To us, a son is given. He is the one that John tells us who became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory. He drew near to us. And when he drew near to us and made the invisible God known, we have seen his glory. Glory as the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. In John 1.14, the apostle wrote of the word made flesh to defeat sin and Satan. But it was centuries after God had promised to send forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. That promise was a long time in coming. You think that you waited a long time for your Christmas presents this year? That promise was a long time in coming, but then it came. Friends, Christmas reminds us that God may appear slow, but he never forgets his promises. He may seem to be slow or forgetting his promises and not working. But when his promises come true, and they always come true, they always burst the bank of everything that we'd ever imagined. Christmas reminds us that God is working out his purposes in the world through the word made flesh who dwelt among us to defeat our darkness and to put an end to all of the evil. And friends, that is worth celebrating. And when we celebrate rightly, we catch a glimpse of Jesus' greatness. And when the church of the Lord Jesus Christ gets a fresh glimpse of his greatness, then she finally intensifies her worship. And she willingly and freely gives of all that she has, sacrificing time and money and life so that the gospel might go to the nations. Because those who believe in Jesus by faith are reborn as children of God, not of blood, nor of the will of man, nor of the will of flesh, but of God. In the dark days of John's apostolic ministry, rumors were flying through the ancient world that his fellow disciples were being put to death for belief in Jesus Christ, the word made flesh. And surely as the rumor mill churned in the general panic, everyone would have been terrorized and would have begun to think, we've got to do something. We've got to do something. We've got to get organized and make ourselves a movement. We've got to get our act together. Where do we start? When do we do it? But instead of offering a strategy at the end of the first century, John wrote a Christmas sermon in the opening 18 verses of his gospel. And in it, he said, first, you need to know what has already been done. Because if you don't know what has been done, you will devise a plan of action that doesn't take into account God's activity, and you'll get the whole thing wrong. And the basic life-changing, mind-transforming, spirit-redeeming reality is not what we do, but what God has done, and he has done it. It was given. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. We don't go out and buy it. We can't hire someone to find it for us. We don't become educated enough to finally receive it. We're not even trained into it. It was given. Isaiah says it very simply, to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and it was given in a way that we can receive it. The word became flesh and dwelt among us, 
and we have seen his glory. Glory is the only son from the father full of grace and truth. And we are to hear, here today to receive what God has given as a means of freeing us from sin and Satan. Or as C.S. Lewis so marvelous, marvelously said in his book, Miracles. In the Christmas story, God descends to reascend. He comes down, down from the heights of absolute being into time and space, down into humanity, down further still, if embryologists are right, to recapitulate in the womb ancient and pre-human phases of life, down to the very roots and seedbed of the nature he has created. But he goes down to come up again and bring the whole ruined world up with him, One has a picture of a strong man stooping lower and lower and lower to get himself underneath some great complicated burden. He must stoop in order to lift. He must almost disappear under the load before he incredibly straightens his back and marches off with the whole mass swaying on his burdens. The Christmas story is simple. God reveals himself to us by becoming one of us. Jesus took on flesh like us to bear the burden of sin for us. The sole purpose the word made flesh came was our redemption. And that, friends, is a good Christmas story. It is good news indeed. News to remember and never forget. All of the repetition in our family's life, just like all of the repetition around Christmas, is to help us to remember and not forget. Because we are so prone to forget so quick to forget all that God has done. But all of the repetition actually teaches us what is true, what is right, what is beautiful, what is normal, and what is good. And friends, that is the story that we want to remember today, that the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for these, my friends. We ask, Father, that you would help us to remember and never forget today the wonderful message of Christmas. Father, as we leave this place today to go home, to be with family, to be with friends, to open presents or to spend time with other people that we care about in our lives, to call someone or later this week return to work and tell people about what we did over the weekend or the holiday, we ask God in all of those moments that you would help us to remember Help us to remember what we are so quick to forget. Help us to remember that that message, the basic message of Christianity, the gospel message proclaims to us good news of great joy for which we had reason to gather together and celebrate this morning. And we ask, Father, as we remember it, that you would drive those eternal truths deep into our hearts. And we ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand and continue?